You're listening to The Michael Amadei Show, episode 459, Right to Riots. May 29th, 1913, in Paris. A piece was premiered at a theater, a ballet. It was referred to later by a critic as a laborious and puerile barbarity. However, it has now gone down in history as one of the greatest and most kind of modernist pieces to come out of the era. It's still performed a lot now, and it's recognizable by many. But that's not why I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about tonight because there's also another famous incident that happened that night in that same theater, and that is that a riot or near riot started between the wealthy class and the bohemian class. There were vegetables thrown at the stage, and the uproar was so loud that the orchestra couldn't be heard by the dancers, and the choreographer had to kind of yell to keep giving them directions. You know, now step here, now do this, now this movement. There's a lot of legends that have sprung up around it, and tonight I want to get to the bottom of what happened and kind of cut away the myth and say, from accounts, this is what took place at the premiere of the Rite of Spring. Igor Stravinsky, the composer, kind of gave different accounts as to where he came up with the idea for the Rite of Spring, but his account from his 1936 autobiography is generally considered by historians to be the most accurate. And he says this, quote, One day, when I was finishing the last pages of, in a piece I can't pronounce, in St. Petersburg, I had a fleeting vision. I saw in my imagination a solemn pagan rite, sage elders seated in a circle, watching a young girl dance herself to death. They were sacrificing her to appropriate the god of spring. Such was the theme of the rite of spring. Not long after, Stravinsky took his idea to Nicholas Rorich, who was a foremost Russian expert on folk art and ancient rituals, and he had a real reputation as a mystic, but he provided stage designs, because he was also an artist, for the Russian ballet. Before, they agreed to work together. They called it the Great Sacrifice to start, and they took it to the Russian ballet, who agreed to do it, and they pushed it off for a little bit of time to allow it to be developed completely. Along the way, they were brought... Uh, Valsov Nijinsky as the choreographer for the piece. Now, he is considered one of the greatest male dancers of the early 21st century, and Stravinsky at first was very excited about this until later he kind of had less enthusiasm, realizing that according to him, Nijinsky had absolutely no knowledge of music, and he thought that the choreography was um, kind of hard to understand and a little primitive, shall we say. I bring all of this up because it kind of feeds in to the cocktail mix that's about to explode in that theater. Now, on the night of the premiere, May 29th, 1913, the ballet premiered at the Theater de Champs-Élysées, which is a beautiful, gorgeous theater in Paris. A quote from the German aristocrat Count Harry Kessler, he said, it was the most dazzling house I've ever seen in Paris. And that's actually really something to say. We also must understand that at this moment in Paris, we were making a big transition from the old world to the new world. The Eiffel Tower had come in, in the early 1900s, and there was kind of this movement of bohemianism, of modernism, 
and uh, and yet there was also the resistance to that. And this was really represented by the crowd that was there. There were some people in the audience who were anti-Russian. There were people that were anti the people who ran the Russian ballet. There were people who were there against uh, Nijinsky as well. And they all kind of came with a plan to disrupt, according to accounts. At the same time, we're dealing with a piece that's very, very powerful. In fact, Stravinsky even knew that. He said in a letter to Nicholas Rorish, from all indications, I can see that this piece is bound to emerge in a way that rarely happens. So it was that mixed with this primal kind of strange choreography mixed with the primal design of Rorich, plus all of these other people there that kind of created the situation where this could happen. So what did happen? Well, it's still a bit of a mystery, but we have some pretty clear ideas. Lydia Sokolova, who was a dancer, said as soon as it was known that the conductor was there, as the conductor walked in, the uproar began. Now, Stravinsky believed that the crowd had come for Scheherazade or Cleopatra or some, you know, something that was kind of traditional and that they really were used to. Keep in mind, this was long before the TV, right? You were being given what you were given when you went to the ballet. Now, there was a level of dissonance and kind of strange things that were happening. There was jerky movements of the dancers and rapidly twittering sounds from the woodwind section. It just got more and more kind of um, modern in the way that it developed. Then, to quote Stravinsky, the curtain opened on a group of knock-kneed and long-braided lolitas jumping up and down, and the storm broke. I went out and I said, go to hell. They were very naive and stupid people. Now, what we think happened was that the two factions began attacking each other. We're talking about the bohemian and the wealthy classes. But soon their anger was diverted towards the orchestra. And here is a quote. Everything available was tossed in our direction. We continued to play on. Around 40 of the worst offenders were ejected, possibly with the intervention of the police, which is very likely, although it's not uh, substantiated as evidence. Though all the disturbances, the performance uh, still continued without an interruption. The unrest eventually died down during part two, and by some accounts, uh, the sacrificial dance at the end was watched in reasonable silence. At the end, there were several curtain calls, and for the orchestra as well, and there was a uh, there was a large applause for Stravinsky and Nijinsky both when the evening's program uh, finished. And of course, this helped Stravinsky kind of shoot to fame, but it's important to note that it didn't mean he made a lot of money off of this. In fact, uh, not very long after this happened, he contracted typhoid from eating bad oysters, and he was confined to a Paris nursing home uh, for a while until the middle of July. And after that, he, you know, he returned and he started seeing theaters had been closed, and, uh, and he started having kind of an issue with money. He was a bit broke. And this is, of course, on the eve of World War I looming, which, of course, was a very dark time for everyone. However, if you have some time tonight, I would look up the Rite of Spring. I would listen to it, maybe in the dark, with your eyes closed, and try to imagine what it would have been like on May 29th, 2019. It's tomorrow night. I'm recording this on May 28th. 
see if you can you kind of imagine what that would have been like and see if you can imagine kind of the vision that might have occurred to Stravinsky when he first imagined that sacrificial dance. If you want to send me a message, you can, michaelamade.com. Just put a message in the contact form. That's an easy way to get me. If you find yourself being creative with poetry, lyrics, or short fiction, consider listening to my radio show, World Poetry Open Mic. We broadcast almost every Friday night at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at worldpoetryopenmic.net. We won't be there this uh, this Friday, which is May 31st, 2019, but we will be back the following Friday. All right. For this podcast, the next episode will be tomorrow. So until then, keep living authentically and keep living creatively.